Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Because I'm fine. Hello, welcome to Telecast. It is season five, episode ten. This is part duh of the um, earnings per click. We did one last week, and based upon kind of listener feedback, we're going to do another one. Um, Brian, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? All right, we kind of did two intros for this one a little bit. This podcast is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at Intellicast at emi-rs.com or follow us on Twitter, emi underscore research or Intellicast1. And you can text us at 513-401-5463. On today's episode, we bring back Andrew DeSillis, who was in last week's episode, and Katie Cross, who is the chief customer officer at Suzy. And she has a, a pretty strong background and sample of 15-ish years she worked at a proprietary panel company, and she also worked at an exchange, and she's worked on the brand side, and now she works at Suzy, which has its own panel, um, and so a really good perspective. We just recorded it a few minutes ago. Um, also, happy International Women's Day. Um, throw that in there, a day late. Um, but, uh, man, what a great topic. I, we could have, I, we talked, and I looked down, and we were at 35 minutes. I yeah. I, I wow. feel like we're going to have another like part three, part four, part five on this conversation. Part trois. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to start um, throwing in different languages in there too. Um, yeah, it was really good. Good conversation. She's knowledgeable. We played a little bit of devil's advocate, but you know, we're in this, I don't know, we're in this weird phase of marketing research where we're kind of using more advanced metrics to price studies and what impact does that have to, uh, the respondent, to the researcher, um, to the research, to the buyer. And it's kind of complicated. So um, hang with us. I think it's really good. And um, yeah, here's Katie. Hello. Welcome to Intellicast. Man, I am super excited for today's episode. And it is really, we're calling it part duh of last week's episode. And it's about earnings per click and kind of modern sampling and all of the levers that happen when you're trying to buy a sample. And Andrew DeSellis is joining me again. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Brian, how are you? And now is it part do because it's the second one or part duh because all the things we are about to talk about, we should have addressed last week. Are we go- what are we going with here? Well, I hope, uh, hopefully our Canadian producer will spell it with the French duh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Hello, Brian. Yes. How are you, sir? Good. How about you? I'm all right. I think we'll just get right into it. We have a special guest today um, who's been on the podcast before. And at the end of last episode, we said, hey, we want feedback. And let me tell you, we got a lot of feedback from a lot of people. And Katie Gross, who is the chief customer officer of Susie, texted me immediately. And I was like so excited to hear from her, first of all, because I haven't talked to her in a while. But also she had so many points 
that um, we should have probably addressed in the last episode. But um, welcome, welcome, Katie. Now we can talk. I'll have lots of fun and talk about it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Um, you inspired my juices last week. I was listening to the podcast. I'm a loyal listener. I was doing the dishes, I'll be honest, and uh, dried my hands and text you immediately. So um, a topic. <laughs> at, least you waited, at least you waited to dry your hands. Yeah. So I think last week we talked about it from the buyer perspective. And Susie, you have a little bit of background more um, on because it's kind of the supply side, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So my my background, um, I mean, I had worked at a, a food and beverage company early in my career, but it's predominantly been either at market research agencies um, or at panel companies, having worked at both a proprietary panel owner um, and also one of the exchanges. So and okay. at Suzy, we own our own panel. So we kind of operate our own marketplace as well as uh, dealing with kind of both supply side and demand side. So interesting. Awesome. Place to be. Um. If you could summarize your thoughts, what would be your kind of your first talking point? Would you have one talking point or is it more? It's, it's a lot. I feel like we'll get to probably a lot of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think my main theme is we as an industry have to do what's right for the respondent ultimately. And obviously, Brian, I, you know, I've listened to many of your podcasts where the respondent experience um, is one of the most important experiences we have. Really, when a brand is trying to understand a consumer's opinion, they are asking that consumer um, or that human, should I say, for their opinion so that that brand can make a multi-million dollar decision on a service or a product or an ad campaign. So that respondent has to be kind of squarely um, you know, brought to, brought to the front and that respondent experience is vital in market research. So I'd say that's kind of my key theme as we go through this topic today. Yeah, and you know, they're the lifeblood and I think sometimes we forget about them, obviously. Um, they may be worth sometimes a dollar in the open market, but they're certainly worth much more than that. Um, Andrew, you had an example in last week's episode where you said, hey, in the old days, I could call up someone like a, I could call up Katie and say, hey, I need more sample. And there were things we could do or people at panels could do um, to kind of game the system and probably not best practice, right? Um, looking back on it, it was probably a short-term gain for a, a longer-term challenge. Um, is that right? Am I stating that right, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing that you just said, Katie, is that we have to do what's right for the respondent. <clears throat> and the first thing my brain did was go, hmm, I'm not sure, because here at EMI, we always say we need to do what's right for the research. And then my brain immediately went to the next step and realized, well, what is right for the research is going to be what's right for the respondent. Um, before we started recording, we were all talking about Melanie Courtright's recent podcast episode on Green Book. Are we headed towards a uh, sample supply crisis, right? And poor respondent experiences, which again, you know, remember, we're talking about earnings per click here. We're talking about the ways that we measure um, survey health. And so if... EPC and sample throttles and so on and so forth, all these things we're navigating, ultimately lead to a better respondent experience. Um, yeah, that, that has implications not only for supply, but also for data quality. Um, so that was a lot more than you just asked me, Brian, but I, I just did want to say that I think that will kind of be the theme of the rest of what we talk about. Um, what you asked me directly about was the service component and how we sometimes feel like 
recently, those with whom we're working have less control of the priority of our surveys. Um, in, and I believe I had said in my example, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm your top client or if this survey is from my top client or if, you know, we're doing research directly for the president of the United States, right? We, there seem to be less levers that we can pull. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of going down that path and determining, you know, what levers can we pull? Uh, how does EPC play into all this? And uh, so on and so forth. They get 65 second soliloquy, maybe more than that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, when I worked proprietary at a proprietary panel company, it was in the early days of, of sample supply. So 2007, 2008, um, our response rates were an enviable, I think, 30%. Um, oh. And um, because we had not yet damaged the panel, um, and I'm going to use yeah. the phrase damage the panel. So, you know, we were selling studies and the, the demand started to, particularly after the recession, of 2008, the demand started to really increase, um, and the supply was, um, you know, not catching up with the demand essentially. So we were sending more and more and more survey emails, so email invites, um, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, we had to hit those quotas too. I think when I first started in sample, the average incidence rate was 80, percent um, oh which I know, remember the days. Um, oh. We had a really high CPI; it was six pounds. That's right, British pounds for a NAT rep <laughs> audience. Um, and we were able to pay a really good um, incentive and take care of that respondent. As you said, so clients would call me and they're like, Katie, we're short. We need to finish this one a little bit earlier. Can we get more mails? We're really struggling here. And I would just speak to my project managers um, and send more sample. We would send more sample and more sample, send up another invite, send another round of reminders, et cetera. And I actually do remember a client of mine at the time we were working on a really tough audience um, and he happened to be a part of the panel too. And he said, you need to slam sample at this one. And so the phrase you need to slam sample at this one came up quite a lot. Um, and I did, we slammed sample at it. And then he messaged me the next day and said, uh, by the way, I got 17 invites from your, from you guys yesterday. I'm like, well, yeah, cause you're a young male who fits the criteria for this particular study. You asked me to slam sample. That's exactly what we did. Um, so Andrew, to your point, you know, as a, uh, in my role as your, you know, as a kind of account manager for a lot of our market research agency clients, I did my absolute best to get the client front and center um, to make sure we fulfilled the studies. The damage we did to the panel in the meantime is that if you get 17 invites in one day, you're probably going to unsubscribe. And that's exactly what we saw. We saw people unsubscribe. We saw people not finish studies. We also, in the recession, saw a lot of studies that were previously telephone studies or mall intercepts, et cetera, just be moved online. And so suddenly you're answering you know, six or seven grid questions in a row, followed by four or five open ends in a row. And those survey lengths over time, again, 2007, 2008, 10 minutes was the average length of interview. It's 23 minutes um, on average today for most panel companies. So I think we did a lot of damage to a lot of proprietary panels um, back in the day. And I'll jump in real quick. What you're describing in 2007, 2008, it'd be easy to figure out who that is, but that was everybody. It wasn't just mm -hmm. the company you worked for. That was standard in the industry, right? We were all, all panel companies were doing that same thing of just massive invites, email invites with a direct link to the survey. And so 
Um, well, this is before routing, really, yes, where exactly. maybe yeah. if, if the quota was closed or if the study was closed nowadays, you might go to a different survey, right? Where back then it was just like, oh, sorry, it's closed. You go to the next email, click on that link, survey is closed. That was very rampant within the industry. So in some ways, the more programmatic versions of what we have today certainly cleans up a lot of that kind of mess. You're not getting 17 emails a day. If you click on a survey that's closed, you might be going to a different survey. So we have evolved in many, many positive ways from those days. And I just wanted to, again, stay, state that's what everybody did. If we built a good relationship with someone at a certain panel company, we called them up and they would kind of bend the rules or gamify the system to kind of make sure we got our quotas on a Friday evening or Monday morning. That was the first thing that happened. Um, yeah, That was yeah. my soliloquy, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, and I don't think it's, it's up for debate that, you know, poorly optimized surveys are bad for the respondent, which is bad for the supply, which is bad for the research. That's not up for debate. Anyone who kind of disregards that, maybe we don't want to work with them. Um, but, you know, to, to tie it back to the earnings per click and sort of the, Ethics and in, in maybe ethical is too strong of a word, but you know our feelings around that, right? You know, it, well, and let's be real too. We're not just talking about using earnings per click as a metric in the conversation. We're talking about earnings per click combined with sample throttles that prioritize and deprioritize our surveys based on this kind of overall holistic conversion. Um, so I guess this is, you know, probably Katie, I'd love for you to answer yeah. this question first, but Brian, I'd also like your thoughts, you know, are we then punishing clients who have difficult work and rewarding those who do 80% gem pop political polling? Um, you know, are we punishing clients who need to test a large format video ads so we can't use mobile, right? You know, when we use this system that is designed to protect the asset and the respondent, you know, there are real implications to that for almost every single client out there. I didn't end with a question, but rant. Yeah, <laughs> I hear your point. And it's interesting when we both at the beginning of this conversation talked about, I said, you know, my, my thread is the what's right for the respondent. And you said, um, Andrew, the thread for you is what's right for the research. So I think we can touch upon both those topics. Um, you know, having worked for one of those exchanges um, where EPC is the name of the game. So the exchange in the middle um, is simply doing, well, it, first of all, it democratizes both the demand side and the supply side. It favors both of them equally. It provides the suppliers or most exchanges provide the supplier with the control um, as well as the buyer with the control as to which supply sources they want to use. The, so it's not that the exchange is putting the throttles in place. Um, and I also kind of feel the word throttle is a little harsh, I would say. It's about the suppliers putting in what they want for their respondents. They want a maximum of 10 minutes interviews and nothing more. They want a lower threshold of 50% incidence rate, for example. So these are the types of metrics that they are able to put in, not as their throttles, but as their best practice. So the minute a survey goes to 12 minutes, that supplier is no longer sending traffic um, through the exchange. The minute it goes below 50% conversion rate, for example, they're just no longer. And so I would take all of those phone calls, 
you need to slam more sample at this study, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, it's not for me to say, it's the suppliers. The suppliers have chosen that that's not what's right for their audience. And they should know their audience better than than most. Um, now, EPC is an earnings per click. So if you do have a very difficult study um, with a low conversion rate and multiple videos, and we know it's going to be really taxing on the respondent, there is a price to pay. That earning per click can still match the 100% conversion rate five-minute study as long as the CPI is high enough to match that same EPC. Um, I think we have... And so, and so, you know, when we've looked at kind of, even if we have a CPI of $25, for example, if it's a 1% incidence rate study, that earnings per click is nothing compared to a 50 cents CPI on a 100% conversion rate study. So yep. I think we've kind of backed our way into a place where sometimes those studies really need like a $100 CPI in order for that earnings per click to, to match for the supplier. And yeah. as much as I would love to think the suppliers are just doing it just for their respondents, of course, they have a business to run. Yeah. And in a supply shortage, as Melanie Court right, rightly pointed out, why would they send their very important clicks to a study where they're not going to earn as much revenue as to a study that where they're going to earn um, for, for themselves and for their respondents? Because it's also the respondent incentive that, um, you know, it should be a factor here. Yeah, I I was really hoping to like play a devil's advocate on something you just said, Katie, but I don't think I can. I agree with everything you just said. Andrew, you asked kind of your question, an original question was, are we punishing clients that have difficult work, um, rewarding those that have like gen pop five minute link surveys. And I think in some ways, I don't know if the word's punishing, but yes, we are. You will get more traffic at a lower length of interview. You will get more traffic at a better incidence rate. Um, Every minute of LOI you can cut from your survey, you will get rewarded. Um, if you have better survey conversion, you have better survey health, that is a, such a positive. In some ways, this is tough love for buyers of sample, trying to push them to convert as much as possible. So mobile-friendly, shorter length of interviews and better targeting will absolutely help. But I love Katie's point that, yes, you can still match up 1% surveys, um, 1% IR studies, and you can still make the EPC work so that it doesn't do too much damage kind of to the survey itself. Because that's something we don't want to do. We, we know that those horrible surveys aren't going away. And if the price is going to go up on those surveys, that's something the industry is going to have to, you're either going to have to accept it or change it. And we've seen, we just had a conversation in the last few days about incidence rates of below 4% shot up i mean really high to, to the number you're talking about katie like close mm -hmm. to triple digits and maybe that's what we need to do as an industry um and at the lower end of a, a short length of interview and a high incidence are going down a little bit right yeah yeah and i think that's where you know where we've seen price compression and and sub one dollar cpis as much as originally again having worked at a proprietary panel company i'm like wow who's offering sub one dollar cpis this is terrible <laughs> um but actually those conversion rates are enormous. They are those five minute long studies that are 100% conversion rate, in which case that EPC on that particular study, it may be 90 cents CPI, but it's a huge EPC. And so it makes all the sense for the supplier and it makes a lot of sense for the respondent who is going to get paid um, their incentive for taking part in that short study. Yeah. What do you think of our answers, Andrew? Yeah, well, so first of all, I did use the word, um, the inflammatory word punish intentionally. Um, <laughs> so, so that's definitely... I just wanted to call that out um, and I do not retract it. <laughs> <sighs> 
Although I will say, do you think we have punished respondents enough? I used to test a lot of survey links and I'm like, I feel punished. Yes. <laughs> a 22 yes. minute study with keen grid questions and then five yeah. openings. Oops, I, right. oops, I termed out of this one. I needed to complete. I accidentally termed. Those are the worst of those. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, well, yeah, you know, I, I think that... <sighs> Would you say then that earnings per click really sort of evens the playing field? Um, because like you said, you know, you can still get that 1% IR 20-minute survey done, but perhaps we've just been underpricing them for the last 15 years. Um yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it kind of evens the playing field. There's a very objective lens. You know, we talked for a long time on the last episode about how holistic EPC is, right? Um, and I do think that we should be doing absolutely everything that we can to preserve the um, the assets of our entire industry, which are the people who take online surveys. Um, but even if this is the great equalizer, even if this is wonderful response for respondents, and even if it does give clients a lever to pull if they need to, it's all on price. And they don't like that. And I feel like I've had to pull the price lever 10 times more in the last year than I did in, you know, and I, ha- I haven't been doing this as long as you, Katie, or as long as you, Brian. But, you know, in, I am not in the preceding... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't saying that. I was saying you got more experience than me doing this. Um, but uh, you know, I, ten times more in the last year than I did in the preceding five. And I just, if the great equalizer is going to be using this metric, so that we're constantly pulling the price lever, you know, what what implications does that have for service for? Um, you know, for researchers, for us as consultants, um, you know, I, I just, that kind of doesn't sit well with me, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, and I, and I definitely understand that. I think, um, you know, as it pertains to service, I think there's a couple of things that panel providers, et cetera, should be doing, and which is accurately understanding feasibility, time in field, and the real price points upfront so that you're kind of aware of it. So rather than have to pull in a favor, um, call your supplier and the only lever they can pull is price. I think it's that's, you know, if you have a trusting relationship with the supplier or that you're using their tools accurately stating, this is going to take five days in field. You can want it in three and the lever we can pull to get it done in three is to blow the EPC up um, by, by putting a higher price point in. Um, but this will take five days. This is a long study. This is a difficult audience. This is a low conversion rate and low incidence rate. This will definitely take five days, in which case you can keep that price point, um, the flat price point. So I think just maybe having a more transparent scoping up front. Back in the early days of the wild, wild west, where feasibility was calculated in an Excel spreadsheet, usually, sure, I could say, yep, fully feasible, no problem, everything's $4. Um, But I think it's about having a much more honest conversation. I think we've probably underpriced a lot of those studies over time, you know, I feel $25 for kind of one or 2% incidence rate is where the industry has been, but one or 2% incidence rate is a huge difference on APC. That is half one Mm -hmm. versus 2%. Um, 
And so in theory, if it's $25 for a 2% incidence rate, it should be $50 for a 1% incidence rate. Yep. But that's just not how we've kind of been thinking about it in the past. So well, go ahead, Brian. Real quick, I'm sorry, Brian. That's That was going to be my next point is that, first of all, we're kind of early on, I think, in this transition towards advanced metrics and pricing and survey health measurement. We're still trying to figure this out. But what this is doing is, I think we're doing a better job, hopefully, of holding our clients accountable, which I think we've been, I think the industry has been too lax on, on length of interview and incidence rates for a long time. When, to your point, if some of a client says it's 2% incidence and it comes in at one, most people are not going to push back in the old days and say, hey, you owe us more money, right? Or we need to do something about it. And to your point, that's double the amount of sample needed to complete the survey. Yeah. It should, the CPI should significantly increase. And, you know, the difference between 2% and 1% is an extreme example, but even, you know, 12 minutes to 10 minutes or 10 minutes to 12 minutes, that's a 20% increase in survey length. And that sh there should be some accountability there. Um, yeah. That's my little rant. Brian, I'm sorry I interrupted oh, you. No, that actually is good because that kind of brings me into my question. So seeing it from the both sides, we've talked about the buying side and the supplier side. I feel being the person who is the marketing guy and not out there selling sample or managing panels or any of that, how do we bridge this gap between because there is a gap between the, us, the supplier piece, and then the buyer piece who have, here's our traditional, here's the way we're trying to go. How do we bridge that gap? Because we know there's a lot of pushback. Like we could have someone come in now, oh, you're using EPC. Well, we need to cost more. I ran this three months ago and it, it cost me this much. Why is it costing me more now? This is what I have budgeted for. So I know you run into that. How do, you, how do we bridge this gap? Yeah, I mean, I think we can show them gas prices, and I'd only budgeted for my car to be topped up at a certain price for this month versus before. You should. Um, <laughs> You're prepared for that. That was good. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, I think you know, as as Brian um, had stated, I think we have let people get away with too much for too long because we will just pull the levers and kind of like, all right, let's just send double the amount of sample um, to it. <laughs> Um, but I think it's really, you know, it's helping market research agencies and brands themselves really understand what is it you're trying to solve for? Like, what are the questions you're actually trying to ask? Um, and what product, service, et cetera, are you trying to come down to? And do you really need to ask all of those questions? Um, I will plug Susie uh, because we have a cap of 20 questions on our surveys. I can't oh. raise that. So there is no 30 minute studies um, happening. It is 20 questions. Um, and it's amazing to me. We have over 300 clients who are very, very large um, enterprise brands in the USA, and they don't have a problem fitting their surveys into. Hmm. into you come up with that with the old game of 20 questions you play like in car rides. <laughs> exactly. You'll get your favorite flavor via 20 questions. <laughs> um, but I will say there is the, the part we haven't necessarily talk, touched upon yet is what it's incumbent upon the supplier to also know their supply and to know who those respondents are. So they are directing the traffic accordingly. Um, and at Suzy, we actually separate out screeners. So our clients screen our panel once a quarter. So we know who the dog owners are. We know who the energy drink drinkers are already. So we're not having to ask that in every single survey. So we're not asking age, gender, region, which brands do you purchase, which categories do you purchase from in the same survey. So I do think it's incumbent upon the suppliers also to know a lot more about their supply 
and the demographics and some of the behavioral habits so that they can also direct the traffic um, accordingly. So there, there is, you know, it's not just about earnings per click for the suppliers, there's work for them to do as well. And I think that's a great point to bring up because, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, like drop rate or um, diminishing incidence rates and things like that that factor into earnings per click. But earnings per click also factors in like targetable terminations. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be mm-hmm. over quotas that we're receiving because of sample mismanagement, right? You know, I've run into many times on like high speed, large base size surveys where, you know, We'll send out an update as soon as a quarter closes, um, and then the, res- uh, the the supplier gets back to us four hours later, having sent a whole bunch of overquotas to the survey. And in the earnings per click model, especially when it's very automated, you know, all of those either targetable terminations, like, you know, people say they can target smokers, and half of our sample is saying they don't smoke. Right, things like that all get all play into the earnings per click, and then kind of deprioritize the survey when though certainly if your survey is ugly and thirty minutes long and has grid on grid on grid on grid, that's on the client. But what about those those factors that are are really on the supplier um, that also then play into earnings per click, slowing down the survey and driving up the costs for the client? Yeah. Um, I think one thing is that I still believe somewhat there were a marketplace and the better suppliers will emerge to the top because if those bad suppliers that aren't managing their panel well or not profiling as well, um, not knowing their panelists like Katie has just mentioned they do at Susie and profiling them very often, their EPC, their metrics won't look good, their prices will be higher and the buyers will find the better panels. Maybe that's too positive and altruistic. Am I wrong, Katie? Is it- no, you're you're right. It it actually the you know the exchange will be the equalizer. The suppliers yeah. that don't have a good conversion rate will stop sending traffic to that, that study, and the suppliers in that same study who are sending traffic and it is converting at a much higher rate will continue to service that supplier um, yeah. source. And you know you can certainly ask your friendly exchanges for which suppliers are performing in your studies and which ones are, are not. Um, as well and it may be different because if that supply channel came from a you know a a female heavy website for example or a traffic source then they might be better at certain studies than others Um, Mm -hmm. Andrew mentioned smokers there may be some panels that are better for smokers others that are better for pet owners um, Mm -hmm. and so on so it will depend I will say what what I noticed um, over the years of, of being on the supply side is that early in my career I was the sole supplier on a project um towards my last couple of years of um, being in the sample industry or selling sample, it was kind of like, hey folks, here are these seven panel companies we are going to for this particular study. And I've worked for an exchange. So that was already 400 panel companies behind me. Um, it, everybody launched at the same time. So Andrew, to your point, I'm going over quota. There's no chance of being able to control the quotas when there's kind of four or five, six suppliers in a quote unquote race study yeah. to fill the project. And that's, I feel like, sometimes really unfair on the supply sources because I think I need to send 100 females and 100 males, but at the same time, every other supply is also sending 100 males and 100 females. It can get very tricky to try and handle the quotas. 
Sandy Casey always had a great quote. She said, it's a little bit, she always used Justin Bieber. She's like, it's a little bit like Justin Bieber constantly inviting you to parties. And the minute you get there, they're like, sorry, don't qualify here. No, you can't come to this one. No, you can't come to that one. And that's kind of what happens. We, you know, we set the project up, females start entering the study and sorry, you don't qualify Um, almost immediately because other suppliers have already filled that quota group. And again, are we over quota inks? I've certainly seen some studies where that last day or two of field work is looking for a female in the Northeast who happens to be of this age, who's behaves in this particular way and this particular way. And like, you want me to keep wasting thousands of invites to try and find that one person. When there's again, a supply shortage and there's so many other studies available that why would the supplier ever waste quote unquote, um, their, their supply being directed to a traffic source that they know that your sub 1% kind of yeah. conversion rate. Well, I think, you know, I, I really like what you said, um, Brian, about that perhaps in a utopia, um, definitely on, you know, a, a programmatic exchange where we can literally reward those suppliers who are converting well, you know, sure, but th- that's not necessarily reality, right? You know, many of our clients are working with individual suppliers. They're doing it themselves. Um, you know, they might have a handful of people that they go to. Um, and, you know, it, certainly that's why there are benefits of exchanges and why there are benefits of working with a sourcing consultant like EMI. Um, but, you know, even you know, we've, we've vetted over, is it like 770 panels now, Brian? It's really Probably getting well over there. That, yeah. It's, right. I mean, the, the number is getting so far up there. We have 130 that I'm allowed to source from. I really probably work with about 12 to 20 on a regular basis. And, you know, all of those panels who are definitely the cream of the crop have definitely risen through our rigorous process. Um, you know, they still have these issues. So it, you know, it just, it feels to me, and I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here, um, but it feels to me like EPC as the metric of survey health, as the great equalizer holds the client really, really, really accountable mm-hmm. and kind of holds the supplier accountable. And I don't know if I like that. Maybe that's yeah. too strong, um, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to continue playing, uh, playing that side of the court here. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Andrew, I think like it was last week's podcast where you mentioned is CPI the way we should be pricing anymore. I think Patrick Homer may have raised it a couple of years ago at SampleCon. Mm-hmm. Should we be pricing on CPI or should we be pricing on EPC? Mm-hmm. In which case you're buying, I need to buy 10,000 clicks for my yep. study. In which case, I think the behavior would suddenly change. Like, oh, my study is now becoming 10 minutes. and mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need yeah. all these quotas. Um, I can cut the data on the back end instead yeah. of setting the quotas up front. In which case, you know, I know, you know, to, 2,000 completes at $2 versus 1,000 completes at $6 is more cost effective than you can just cut the data differently. Mm-hmm. So is there a, you know, a solution that, yeah, is, is about the way we price altogether? That's maybe the next generation of pricing and maybe we need to get some disruption like that. I don't know. Andrew, you were saying something. Yeah, but you know, an earnings per click pricing model 
you know, this whole time we've been talking about what's good for the respondent and really preserving that supply, so on and so forth. And a term that we've used when discussing the sort of race to the bottom abuse of the respondent um, is the commoditization of sample, right? We, we've discussed that on the show here before. If we all go to earnings per click, and all of a sudden, you can see that panel A is 10 cents per click, panel B is 11 or 12, and we're just kind of throwing out, you know, oh, well, our, our, we're 13 cents per click, but you know, panel A over there, we know they're going to send you stuff that you don't want anyway. So you'll be, you'll need less clicks from us, right? How do we even begin to estimate feasibility if we are pricing based on click? in hoping that we can convert better, we can manage the sample better, we can you know, so on and so forth, because then we're assessing not only the feasibility of how many clicks are available, but as suppliers, we also have to estimate how many clicks will we need based mm-hmm. on these supplier side factors um, in order to get it done. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's, a, it's like a cost per start. Basically, so we keep calling it cost per click, but ultimately, ultimately it's a it's a cost per survey start, um, and that is something that you know maybe the, again that kind of like who's responsible? Is it the supply side? Is it the demand side? Um, and maybe the demand side should be able to forecast. I think my survey is going to convert at at least sixty percent, so therefore I know that I'm going to need six thousand starts. And if your conversion rate again, the supplier cannot control the convert. Well, to a degree, the supplier cannot control the conversion rate. Um, I just think the, the industry feels like it swings from like everything is the responsibility of the panel company. Hey, if you can't get this done for $2, I'm going to use another supplier at $1.90, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that swing of the pendulum, particularly because we are in a supply shortage, that swing of the pendulum has gone back to demand side of we have too much, too much demand and therefore my supply is a scarcity and therefore my supply needs to go to where it's going to make the company the most money but also um is the best thing for the respondent there is another model i think susie might be one of the only companies but we actually no, we're not probably the only one but we have a we pay an incentive for every single question our um respondent answers so we charge our clients a cost per question not a cost per survey complete mm-hmm. um so we in theory pay for all the starts um if that respondent mm-hmm. does not qualify for the survey after two questions they're still paid for those two questions um but it's an ecosystem so the client can retarget to those two questions in a week from now, two weeks from now. Okay. We're, in a, we're in a licensed model where they're licensing access to the panel for a year. So it's a, it's a different model for sure. Yeah. But it's one that I think you know, does, does well for the respondent as well as the, de- the demand side. Yeah. Well, we're, we could probably talk for another hour. We should probably cut us off. Do we want to do final statements? Do we want to do like a final statement or anything else that you want to kind of mentioned that we haven't talked about who wants to go first i can go first i think all that we're talking about we all want what's best for the client and for the respondents and i really just want to make life easier for clients so they can make better business decisions my primary concern is reliability among the sample and i'm just hopeful that as we adjust the metrics and how we send the sample where, and we haven't even really talked about marketplaces and a competitive landscape for respondents. Um, I just hope that we're giving our clients reliable data they can make good business decisions on. That's kind of my final thought. 
if anybody else has anything to say, you're both nodding your heads. I'll say that everybody agrees with this. Nobody's going to argue with me, but anything yeah, else? I'll, I'll jump in so that we can give our, <laughs> our guests the final word here. Um, and Katie, <laughs> thank you so much for joining. Um, you know, I think what we are going to see probably anyway because um you know we are we're competing with the gig economy inflation is through the roof um you can now buy you know one tablespoon of gasoline with your incentive for a 15 minute survey instead of a quarter cup but but you know really it sounds to me like if all suppliers and many of them are more and more and more every year every quarter um are moving to this earnings per click model we're probably going to see two things happen one we're going to hopefully see more consultative supplier side companies. Um, that's what we do at EMI day in and day out. And we should really be talking to our clients up front about, hey, this platform, this screening structure, um, you know, just even the, these termination questions in this IR, we can do it, but you're going to have to pay for it and you shouldn't expect to pay a market rate for it. Um, and the earlier we can get involved in those conversations and to help design the survey so that it will field well, the better for our clients and for the respondents. Um, and if EPC becomes the universal measure of survey health, which makes price the main lever, um, then everyone will have no choice but to then be consultative to play on that field of kind of the great equalizer, um, which unfortunately will be through the level of price because, you know, we are all here to make money. Um, we are all here so that brands can make better decisions so that they can make more money. That is the way that this all works. Um, the second thing is that, you know, I, and I loved the example that you gave, Katie, when you were talking about the difference between 2% and 1% and how, you know, the pricing for 2% to 1% should not be, you know, I, I think like 28 to $36 would be something that I would expect. Um, no, if that's what it is, it should go from 28 to $56. Um, and, and really then when you're thinking about like a $3 50% IR, then 1% should be, you know, uh, back to the napkin, like a thousand dollars, right? You know, it, it's crazy. Um, and I think that we will see um, sample prices are going to go up and we need to then be consultative with our clients to keep them down by making the surveys healthier, um, not by just responding to continuing pricing pressure from brands and from research firms. Yeah, and I would say yes and to all of those statements. Um, I think if EPC is going to be the great equalizer, and I think for too long the suppliers have just, you know, again, I'll use that phrase, please just slam sample at this, please increase traffic. Sample aggressively is a, is a phrase that we used to yes. use. <laughs> sample this one aggressively. Um, I think with EPC becoming the great equalizer where, um, you know, the exchanges and the marketplaces are treating both suppliers and clients equally. Um, I think it's the right thing to do as it pertains to pricing, um, Andrew. I don't necessarily think it is gonna increase pricing across the board. I actually think it's gonna bring pricing down for high converting studies, um, you know, low length of interviews, high conversion rates, high incidence rates are gonna become more cost-effective. Um, so when you said punishing earlier, I think it's rewarding those companies um, with a significantly lower CPI. And we've already seen that happen. And when it is a more difficult study, then it warrants a higher 
a higher CPI in order for it to, to kind of balance the, the scale. And I agree with you. I think it's about consulting with that brand um, and really understanding, do you need to have all of these term points? Can we run the screener a little differently? Um, can we make this easier for the respondent and so on? So I agree that consulting is vital um, in the industry. And I want to make sure we're healthy for the entire industry. You know, there's the respondent, there's the panels, there's the exchanges, there's the, the companies like yours, there's the market research agencies, there's the end clients. And I want it to be kind of, we want to all be equally responsible um, mm. for the quality of the research and for the quality of the respondents. So anything we can do to equalize all of those parts, I think is going to be key. Katie, well said. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for um, thinking of us while you're doing the dishes. Really appreciate it. Um, where, where can someone, you, you mentioned you're having an upcoming lot of travel. Where can people find you if you want to mention it? <laughs> I, am. I will be at the Insights Association in uh, my new favorite city, Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> I visited for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Loved it. Um, so I will be presenting on stage at the Insights Association. I'll be presenting on stage at Quirks, both New York and Chicago. Um, I will be at IIEX in Austin. Um, I think that is it for now. Yeah, a lot of travel it's coming people. up. I've forgotten how to book flights. I've forgotten I know. hotels. <laughs> I did the same thing. It was my first. I'm going to a couple of those. I think Andrew is going to a couple of those as well. And yep. so we will see you there. We will talk. We will keep having this conversation maybe over a better beverage than we're having right now. And um, again, Katie, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. And if anybody else is out there washing their dishes and has a thought, let us know. Um, we're, we're, we're probably going to do more deeper dive um, conversations into the complexities and all of the challenges in the online sample world. And we'd love to have you on. So thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.